Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Yesterday, Cliff Sora shared a top 10 list of hot fusion restaurants, a vegan gluten-free mashup recipe, and a podcast featuring organic food trends. Oh, TMI, I. Too much internet information. That's oversharing. Cliff, Geico has something worth sharing with your friends. Like how on Geico.com you could save hundreds on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim. Gluten-free info that's easy to swallow. Mm. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into the warehouse. A show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. All right. All right, Bob, we got you. I'm on the line. Hey, Bob. Uh, sorry about the snafu there. I didn't see you on the switchboard here. Anyway, um, so let's just, uh, let's just roll. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right, so again, this is uh, The Warehouse, episode number two. This is Brandon Warren, your host here. I'm joined by Bob Harkins. Bob, first of all, how are you doing? I'm not bad, man. How are you? Good. Uh, doing, I think we're doing a little better lately than, uh, than these beloved O's. 7-0 and o start, 5 and 8 since. Uh, I was just kind of breaking down here the start, obviously with seven straight wins, uh, sweeping Minnesota, sweeping a short, quick two-gamer with Tampa Bay, couple quick wins against Boston before dropping the finale. But since then, 5-8, and eight, uh, had a little bit of trouble with Texas, did take a series from Toronto, dropped a couple against Kansas City, and just wrapped up a, losing two out of three to Tampa Bay. Uh, still in first place by a half game, probably a pretty tenuous lead at this point of the season, let alone even if it was later in the season. But uh, what have you seen from the Orioles lately? Is there anything that's really concerning you, or is there anything that you've really been enthused by? Uh, what have you seen from these O's lately? Well, it seems like, uh, I mean, if there's an area of concern, it's that the, the offense took a bit of a hit over the last week or so. Um, aside from a, an 8-3 victory they had on Saturday against the Royals, they've been outscored 16-7 to in their last uh, six games. Um, sorry, sorry, in uh, five of those games, they scored only seven runs and were outscored 16-7. to So the offense took a bit of a, you know, some of that can be attributed to the competition, um, they got shut. They got shut down by Chris Archer. They got uh, Jake Odorizzi, but you know, in Yordana Ventura, they also struggled against Chris Young. So you know, take that for what it is. But uh, I mean, if you want to look at uh, some some good news, we had a, a very nice start from Chris Tillman uh, yesterday, which allowed them to beat Matt Moore in the Rays despite only having three hits. Um, you, you know, I that's a, I kind of look at that as a huge thing. You know, Chris Tillman pitching into the seventh inning. You know, this this rotation has had trouble going deep into games, and while six and two-thirds isn't, you know, terribly deep into the games, it's certainly an improvement and something they're going to need out of out of Tillman, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. You are obviously also looking at one of the better offenses for the Orioles here so far this season. Uh, second in the American League in weighted runs created plus at 113 behind the Red Sox. And, you know, so I, I think it's it's pretty clear what's going to be their – calling card here as the season goes on. I think it's very um, – I've been, I've been very enthused by the offense, especially to um, the ability to take walks a little more than I think people expected. The strikeouts 
have been high in number, but I'm not exactly worried about that. Uh, when you break down the offense individually, you're obviously looking at Chris Davis off to an interesting start. Hitting 205, but still has an 807 OPS. That's a 125 OPS plus. J.J. Hardy doing vintage J.J. Hardy things, you know, hitting 254 with a 300 on base, 444 slugging. Manny Machado looks like he could be a, a sneaky pick in this MVP race. And Mark Trumbo doing kind of interesting things as well. Five home runs, but also just tons of singles. Uh, 20 of his 28 hits have been singles. I've been a little surprised by him. But when you look at this offense, are, are you surprised by what's making it go? Or is this kind of how you viewed it going from the get-go? I mean, I, it's pretty much what I, what I was expecting. Not necessarily um, the individual, how the individuals had performed. I mean, I, mean, I certainly wasn't expecting to trumbo it to hit like he's hitting right now. But I think overall I was expecting this offense to be powerful and to score a lot of runs behind, you know, behind Machado, behind Davis. They've got a lot of dependable uh, bats there. Um, you know, I get, you know, Rickard was a surprise, but uh, he's becoming less of a surprise as the season goes on, I suppose. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, what about you? I, I was expecting this offense to be pretty good. Yeah, honestly, I was. I mean, at the same time, you know, I don't think Pedro Alvarez is going to hit 186 all season long, I guess. Granted, he is kind of a low batting average guy, but I think you'll find some power from him. And I think the most interesting part to me is that this offense has gone where it has gone without a whole lot from Jonathan Scope, 636 OPS, Matt Weider, 610. But even more probably concerning is, I say concerning in the sense that it's just a slow start for him. Adam Jones hitting 196 for 548 OPS. I'm not necessarily concerned that he'll get it going. He's obviously battled some injuries early in the season, but I am surprised that you're, you know, you have an offense that is second in batting average, second in on-base percentage, second in slugging. So obviously second in OPS um, that, that's gone this far with basically nothing from Adam Jones. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, and that, I agree. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm talking about. Like I expected the offense to have, similar numbers to what they're what they're doing i just expected the people doing it to be different i expect adam jones to be doing better um alvarez to be doing better weeders to be doing better scope to be doing better but but the, you know rickard's made up for the trumbull's made up for that um and uh you know I'm, i hesitate to say machado's made up for that because we were expecting machado to be great but that's kind of what i'm saying like i, I figure at the end of the season the numbers will kind of even out a little bit. I don't – Adam Jones, if he gets healthy, I, I expect he'll have a good season. I expect Alvarez will hit better than 186 and have an impact. Um, so that that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, I think at the end, this offense will be good. Just the, the pieces will kind of adjust a little bit over the course yeah, of the season. Yeah, I think, it's, it, you know, you, you get a flip-flop between what Jones has done and what Rickard has done, and that wouldn't be all that stunning. And so – when you look at the, the total production, it's not terribly surprising. It's just, you know, maybe the components are a little bit surprising. Uh, one thing that's also surprising, Giovanni Gallardo coming down with a case of tendinitis. It sounds like he's going to miss about a month. The second MRI confirmed that original diagnosis. It's a guy on a two-year, $20 million deal, expected to be, if not the key cog in the rotation, obviously one of them. In, and, again, a shaky rotation coming into the season through four starts, 7.00 ERA, striking out nobody, walking quite a few batters, and allowing nearly two base runners per inning. Is 
Is it comforting to know that he was pitching this poorly maybe because he was injured? Or are you more focusing on the concept of, geez, they really still couldn't afford for a guy like this to go down? I'm, I'm not, I'm not on board as a big Gallardo fan. Um, right. When I look at last last season, his second half was pretty pretty dreadful. He had a 1.72 WHIP in the second half last year, and there it may, there may have been some signs of him uh, suddenly aging or or breaking down. I don't know. I'm not sure. It may have been part of part of it. May have been you know his first time through the AL, he did pretty well, and then the second time through the AL. You know, they started to figure him out a little bit. I mean, that was his first season in the American League. Um, you know, I think they, they brought him in as sort of a back-end innings eater, which is kind of interesting because he's not really an innings eater. He hasn't gone over 200 innings since 2012. His career, he's averaged about six innings per start. But, you know, I I wasn't expecting him to be this bad, but but I'm, I'm not high on him as like a, some sort of savior either. So I guess I kind of fall somewhere in the middle um, as far as that's concerned. What do you, what do you think of Gallardo? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I try not to be too hung up on peripherals because I feel like the more I learn about pitching, the less I actually know about it, you know, in terms of there are guys <laughs> that don't need to strike out a batter per inning to be good. They can get ground balls or they can get fly balls with the right defense or the right ballpark configuration. And that a lot of these guys are smart enough to know how to work within the system that they have. And sometimes sure. you just get beat by good hitters too. So, you know, it, there's just so many layers that you kind of have to keep in play. And guys don't hang around in the big leagues until age 30, like Gallardo has with lots of experience, you know, obviously coming up as a young player for the, the Brewers, you don't hang around forever being, uh, being just a, an average or, or even worse pitcher. So again, while the stuff wasn't going to stay forever, I feel like he was still learning things as the stuff was declining to find a way to maybe hang, you know, not to succeed necessarily mm-hmm. or to be this, this high end, um, you know, ace that I think the expectation was when he had come up with the, with the Brewers or anything like that. But I think, you know, he knows how to pitch and with declining stuff, he's been able to mitigate that pretty well. Uh, again, there's probably a certain point where that just falls you know, the bottom, just falls out of that. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping for the Orioles' sake that, that that's not right now. Um, but there, there is one guy who rejoined the rotation that I think people are pretty excited about. It's Kevin Gaussman. We've obviously been talking about him um, ad nauseum between articles and stuff. And, you know, people are still very excited about him. Obviously, the first-round pick, former first-round pick. Uh, as the notes here say, the rest of the rotation, you kind of hope they keep you in games. So Gaussman's the kind of guy that's going to try to give you seven – you know, shutout innings, seven quality innings, and is going to be the kind of guy who wins games for you instead of keeps you in games. Um, did take a loss against Tampa Bay, but one earned run in five innings, seven strikeouts on 91 pitches, 11 swinging strikes. I have to say that I think you've got to be pretty impressed with Gausman coming out of the shoot with a, a pretty nice start for a team that desperately needed it, even even if they didn't get the W. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that – I mean, ultimately, I think you're looking at this guy as a as a Tatian starter. But the question is, when will that happen? I think. I mean, he's he's 25 years old, and he's never pitched more than 113 innings in a season. So you know, so I think it's it's fine to be excited about his stuff, and he certainly showed. You know, maybe he wasn't quite efficient in his first start, but he he had great stuff, and the results were good. Um, 
you just got to probably temper your excitement by realizing he's 25 years old, has not had a full season of starts yet in the big leagues, and it's probably, you know, will it be this year where he realizes that potential? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it'll be next season when he gets, you know, next, maybe this season he goes 140 innings, and then next season's the year he takes the, next, the big step. Yeah, part of me wonders how patient Orioles fans are with guys like that. Same thing for Dylan Bundy, too, and, and really any pitching prospect that the Orioles have had in the last, I want to say decade, but it's probably more than that. You go back to the Radhamis, Liz days, the Hayden Penn days, um, Rodrigo Lopez. You can go back pretty far you know, in the post-Messina era, and I, I can see why Orioles fans would not necessarily be patient with the development uh, of starting pitchers. And so, you know, the nice thing is, you know, Show, Buck, Buck Showalter hasn't been around for that entire time. Probably doesn't feel as much pressure to, to you know, shoehorn a guy into a rotation spot where he might not be ready for. But at the same time, with a, with a rotation, you know, if you break down the numbers, they are 13th in ERA at 4.76. The bullpen, second in ERA at 1.80. You know, there's, a, there's an obvious gap there. And, and that, I think that onus falls on, on Showalter to be able to, to kind of mix and match and, and make that a perfect marriage. And I, I can't imagine that's too easy either. Right. No, but you, you've got the right guy in, in command there to take care of that stuff. And, and it, and I don't think it's just Oriole, Orioles fans. I think, it, you know, it's hard, it's hard for any fan to be patient with a, with a prospect, especially when you see him pitch and you go, Oh my goodness, this guy's amazing. I can't wait. I want more. I want more. But you know, being out here in L.A., it's all Julio Urias. When's Urias going to come up? When's he going to come up? Well, he's only pitched about, you know, more than 80 innings in any season, so they're not going to throw him in the rotation and expect him to go 200. Um, they don't want his arm to fall off. So that's that's hard. Well, and I, I understand. I've been there myself. So, But, but Sean Walter, he's, you know, if they, you're going to have faith in anyone to bring him along, right? I, I'm yeah. comfortable with Sean Walter. Well, and it's been the same in Minnesota. Jose Barrios making his debut last night, and just the impatience of the the general fan wanting to see the the fun new toy. And you got to appreciate yeah. patience, especially with guys that have live arms. Uh, you know, Gausman doesn't have the same physical limitations that Barrios does. Um, and I'm not sure is Urias uh, a big guy? I don't think he's a very big guy, is he? No, he's not. He's oh, I don't remember what he's listed at, but he's maybe six feet tall. But throws yeah, 95, 96. Yeah, yeah. So, so kind I mean, of when in you that, have those physical limitations, yeah, when you have those physical Sorry. limitations, I think that the the expectations and you know the minor league numbers can kind of um, put guys uh, on a path in the in the minds of fans where you know you gotta you gotta succeed and exceed my expectations right away, and I think that uh, that's obviously tough shoes for those guys to fill. You know, we, we can't really draw much off one start for Kevin Gaussman, but I do, I do wonder what his ceiling is for this year. Now, you know, he's made one start. We're a month in. So what, I mean, we're probably looking at what, 26, 27 starts for the rest of the season. Would you say maybe, 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 maybe more, maybe 28. I mean, I think if, if all goes well, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what they're talking about as far as an innings limit or anything like that. I mean, again, 113 innings last year or 112 innings last year, you know, you're you're probably not going to send him out there for 200. But he did get a late start, so 
So, you know, maybe what, what's it work out to where he gets 140, 150 innings and whatever that ends up being. Um, you know, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't play with fire with him. He, he's a valuable commodity. No. So, are, are you yeah. are you expecting a ceiling of one one sixty one sixty five if everything goes absolutely perfectly though? That's completely my arbitrary number that I'm throwing out. If I'm running things, yeah. I guess it's not anything I've read or heard, um, but mm-hmm. that would be you know roughly what a forty forty to forty five percent increase in innings over last season. Yeah, um, I don't know what the what the general accepted. Uh, situation is there. I know there's the was it the Verducci effect and a couple different researchers have said, you know, you amp a guy up too quickly, you you make him susceptible to arm injuries. And obviously starting off the season with an injury is another thing that's gonna have you kind of um roll back your expectations a little bit. And I think the big issue there is just, you know, if he gets on a roll and there's nobody else to start there, you know, if you're starting to look to Vance Worley or Mike Wright or anything like that too it's going to be tough to manage those expectations for, for Buck, I think, in, in all honesty. That, that's, there's going to be a lot of pressure. If they're still in first place or in second place and, you know, there's mm. a close close spread between the teams. And, and there's and, no way anybody's running you know, away with this East, I don't think. I, don't, I agree. I agree, yeah. There's, you're probably going to have three, four teams in this come August. You know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fun race, but, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure. And when you've got a team that quite clearly has a weakness and Gaussman is an extremely tempting option there to just run him out there day after day. When you look at Gaussman, uh, this is now, you know, the fourth season he's seen big league action. And even the first year, it wasn't like it was necessarily a cup of coffee, 50 innings, just, just a touch under 50 innings. So, you know, no real joke there looked very good. I think gave a lot of people a lot of optimism from a peripheral standpoint, from the ERA standpoint, obviously a little less, uh, less luster there, but do you still view him like you did four years ago in terms of ceiling or have you kind of brought that down a little bit to where maybe the floor has come up, but you still don't see him as a future ace? No, I, I don't, you know, for me, for me, it's all going to come, I mean, come down to health like it does with pitchers all the time. I, I mean, that's, that's the big question for me. I mean, I suppose the 17 home runs in, in 20, 25 games in 2015 would be a little bit of a concern, but, but I mean, he did, he did strike out over eight and eight per nine in that year. So, I mean, pitchers all mature at their own pace, I guess, you know, not everyone comes up in his Kershaw right away, but what I, what I see is the stuff. And the stuff is good, and so if he can stay healthy and get good coaching, and, and they bring him along properly, I don't see why he this guy couldn't be an ace. Yeah, I think in some ways other prospects can spoil um, can spoil you know how good the expect or how strong the expectations are for someone else. You know, like a Miguel Sano in Minnesota, making it tough for a guy like Byron Buxton to succeed. And I think you can see that with with guys uh, like Manny Machado, who you know, had a, had a little bit of a rough patch, but has picked it up here in the last couple of years. He's still so young that at some point, too, you know, it makes it difficult for expectations to be tempered for any other players that are supposed to be high-end players. I, I understand our guest is on here, so let's, let's do this. Let's take a quick pause, and when we come back, I believe we've got Joe Sheehan of Sports Illustrated for you. Excellent. 
Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. All right, back here on The Warehouse, episode number two. Brandon Warner, your host here, joined by Bob Harkins, as always. And I believe on the line we have Joe Sheehan of Baseball Prospectus fame. That is Baseball Newsletter and has been contributing to SI and SI.com for, uh, let's see, eight, eight or nine years now. Uh, is that right, Joe? We got you on here? Yeah, we started uh, back when I was with Prospectus. We started working with SI uh, back when Nate Silva was there, and uh, I've been writing for them ever since. Uh, uh, I've actually uh, – working on something for next week's issue actually right now is actually just writing about the Orioles. And uh, I'm not saying that just to set you up. I'm actually writing about their home run hitting. Oh man. Well, that, and that has been impressive. Uh, that's kind of their, their um, key thing. I, I'm trying to think of the word I'm, I'm trying to use here, but that's going to be their, their uh, primary way of scoring runs. I think this year, um, obviously haven't gotten too much out of Pedro Alvarez yet, but I think that that's going to be uh, something they get before the end of the season. Joe, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, baseball newsletter that you put out, how long have you been doing that for? Uh, I f- took a run at it back in 2002 initially. I did it for about four months, and then we launched baseball. I had left BP, and then I came back. We launched Baseball Prospectus Premium, um, which was the pay site. And then after starting in 2010, after I left Prospectus for the second time, I launched a newsletter. Uh, so – I guess it'll be early May. I think it was mid-May when I started. So we're coming up on uh, six years since uh, of doing it, you know, the second round. And, uh, you know, I it was an experiment. Uh, obviously, pay content is an area where, you know, you get people who don't want to pay for content. You have people who will pay for mm-hmm. content. And there have been successful sites doing that. And uh, uh, this, is, this has been great. You know, thousands of people have subscribed. People enjoy the content. I like it because it's a mix of with, – with the newsletter, I can pretty much kind of write about anything. And I'm writing to a smaller audience that gets – well, sabermetric concepts, and then when you write to the same audience, you can be a little more personal. And then with SI, I get to write for an audience, a very large audience, and kind of take a broader stroke. So um, it's a nice mix for me. You get to scratch all your creative issues, I think, across a number of different platforms. Where, where can people who aren't subscribing find it? And do you do samples or what trials or how? how and and what, what you know? What's the get-in price? Like to let people know what they're getting into for. As far as cost, obviously the content is very strong, but uh, you know, how, how can people get in on this? I'll post uh, 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 free samples up at joshianbaseball.blogspot.com. You can also, the best place to go these days is to a Facebook page I've set up, Sheehan Newsletter. You can go to Facebook, search Joe Sheehan or search Sheehan Newsletter. You'll pull it up. That's the place where I'm posting excerpts of everything I write, uh, getting a little more discussion going. And, of course, on Twitter, at Joe underscore Sheehan, where you can interact with me and, of course, get all that same information. If people just want to go to the Twitter feed, they can actually get all of these links. Uh, the newsletter is twenty nine ninety five for, for a year, sixteen ninety five for six months. Um, I don't actually have a trial rate or a monthly rate, uh, but, like I say, you can check out the samples. You can see what I'm about on Twitter. You can see what I'm about in Sports Illustrated. Uh, yeah, it's not hardcore sabermetrics. That's never been my thing. It's just a guy who loves writing about baseball, loves the game. I like it. I like to support writers in, in some way or another when uh, if there's a writer you really like. You should find ways to support them, no matter how it is. If, if you can afford it, you should do it. And so Joe is one of those kind of writers, so I want to thank you for that, Joe. Uh, you look at this team through 20 games, exactly 20 games, in fact, 
still kind of dangling at the top of this division, but obviously has has cooled down since the, the, that red hot start. I saw I saw it firsthand with uh, the local nine Minnesota Twins heading into Camden Yards to start the season and getting swept off their off their feet. Uh, when you look at this team, they're pretty. They have a pretty similar look to the past couple of years. You know, you get the plus power. Um, not not great in terms of, of starting pitching. Really good bullpen. The defense should catch the ball for you. Uh, one difference that we see is they're getting on base a little bit more. Do you think that that's something that they're going to continue to do, or are they going to maybe more take the identity of their their JJ Hardys, their Jonathan Scopes, and their Adam Jones is where you know maybe on base percentage is kind of a secondary thing for them, but uh, they want the three run homer. You know, harkening back to the old Weaver days. Do you, do, you, do you see this as a very good on-base team long-term? I would be shocked if it turned into one. Um, really seeing uh, you know, surprising performance out of Mark Trumbo to start the year. I'm going to guess that he's not going to continue to hit 360. I do think Manny Machado, <laughs> this, this is who he is. I mean, you talk about a guy who's one of the, mm-hmm. the four to five best players in baseball, so I think that's real. We know that Chris Davis can be an, an OBP guy, but the, most of this lineup is, is low OBP sluggers, and that's to be expected. I mean, the, the Orioles spent a lot of money this winter, but they did it spinning their wheels. They, uh, readers accepted the, the, uh, the qualifying offer. They spent a lot of money to retain Chris Davis. They spent a lot of money to retain uh, Darren O'Day. They brought in low OBP sluggers like Trumbo, like Alvarez. There's no reason to think this team would be any different than it was a year ago. Um, and that's one of the reasons I was skeptical about their chances in a tough a- a- AL East this year. I mean, basically mm-hmm. returning the core of a 500 team. Uh, now, again, early, in the early going, they are second in the league at OBP. Uh, they're hitting a ton of homers. I, I can't see them maintaining that OBP. It just doesn't seem to fit with the skill sets of the players they have. We can get surprised, of course. Uh, I think the key for them is, you know, let's talk about just they're going to have to hit probably 225, 230 home runs to have a viable offense. And, and they could do it. They get power from basically every spot in the lineup. Uh, and that's not something you know a lot of teams will do these days. So I'm a big believer in Jonathan Scope, even for a low OBP player. I think if you can get a 290, 450 out of your second baseman in today's game, you can live with that. J.J. Hardy has been that type of player in the course of his career. It's basically who Adam Jones is. It's off to a terrible start, of course. I, I think the real key is going to be the pitching. We, we know the bullpen's going to be good. And the question is, is the starting rotation going to be adequate or is it going to be a disaster? Yeah, 28 home runs through 20 games, I think that puts them, and I'm, I'm not a math major, roughly on the pace to, to do exactly what you said they're going to have to do to to be offensively viable from a home run standpoint. I, I ask everybody I come in contact with, I even asked Bob this last week on our debut show, have we ever figured out who exactly the Orioles were bidding against with this Chris Davis contract? No, I honestly don't know. I don't know. Maybe the Warriors wanted to give him a contract or something. I'm really not sure. <laughs> but obviously, uh, this seems like a situation where it was the decision was not made in the GM's office. It felt like something that was done over the head. And that I would say, you know, over 40 years of free agency, probably 25 of the worst deals are done when it's the owner as opposed to the, the GM making it. So, you know, having Chris Davis around for 2016, 2017, that's not a huge problem. The bigger problem is going to be, of course, when you take a guy who's a low, contra- a low contact hitter, a guy with old player skills, and now he's 32, 33. The back end of that deal, even with the deferred money, is not going to be very pretty. But the argument for making it is this. This is the Orioles' window. They're trying to kind of squeeze another – division championship, playoff appearance, appearance, postseason run out of 
what we'll call the Adam Jones, Matt Wieters era. And I, I don't necessarily think it was such a bad idea to do that. I think if you look at the Orioles past about 2017, 2018, it starts to get a little ugly. Mm-hmm. Joe, Bob Harkins here. Um, we were, you, you mentioned the pitching. We were talking earlier about uh, the issues they've had with uh, Giovanni Gallardo injured and, and the possibility of uh, what they're going to get out of Kevin Gaussman this season. The, the rotation currently stands at Gaussman, Tillman, Jimenez, and I guess Worley and Wright. What do you, what do you think in, uh, when you look at this rotation? And could you see them pursuing another arm somewhere down the line? I the, the question I always have whenever we talk about something like this is who are you trading for an arm? Uh, this is not a strong farm system. Uh, they've obviously had some bad luck with injuries, uh, Bun, Bundy and Harvey over the years. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that for this team to compete, if they're in a race in June, July, they are going to have to go outside the organization. They get pitching help. Um, I, I think the money will be there. It's not really generally been a concern. It's just, you know, are you going to be able to put together a prospect package for the type of pitchers that'll be out there. And this isn't last year, guys. I Just taking an early look at the market, you have to assume Steven Strasburg's not going to be available. You look around, and it's not going to be the kind of pitching depth out in the trade market that uh, that you'd like to see if you're a contending team. Uh, I was encouraged by uh, by Tillman's outing last night. Uh, you know, he, he had the big year a couple of years ago, but he's always really projected more as a, you know, a high three, maybe a low two. Um, and unfortunately, in the, the, the guy they need this year, and this guy that they've messed with the last couple of years is Gaussman. I think they've got to put Gaussman in the rotation and hope that he can be their breakout guy. They're, they're Chris Archer, from, you know, what Archer's done for the Rays the last couple of years. They're a young, drafted and developed starter who emerges as a high two or a low one. We were talking about it a second ago. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I think when you look at the market and you look at what the Orioles have to offer, I mean, that's got to be a much better deal for them, too. You know, if it's going to be trolling the market for twos, threes, and fours instead of ones with what the Orioles had to offer, that's kind of got to be kind of a, a better fit, too, for the Orioles in terms of trade, um, you know, matching up for trade stuff. You know, it's a little early in the season to kind of gauge that, too. But wouldn't you say, you know, if, if they only really have a little bit to offer, it makes sense that – you know, they can't even think about the aces, and there probably won't be that many to begin with. Well, no, because this, this has been the Orioles' problem over the last couple of years. They keep, in, you know, they sign Jimenez, they sign a Gallardo, and what they've had is a staff full of threes and fours. And what they've desperately mm-hmm. needed is David Price. What they've desperately needed is Zach Greinke. Um, this is team. This team, as much as any in baseball, had the bulk starts, the the the, the depth. At least in recent years, a little less so this year when you're import, when you're importing Vance Worley. But what they have not been able to either develop or sign is that true number one starter, uh, and that's that's been the missing link. And again, you know, if you if we'd had this conversation three years ago, guys, I think we were all expecting that by 2016 they'd be getting 60 starts, 400 innings, and you know, 10 wins above replacement out of Bundy and Gaussman. It just hasn't worked out that way. I agree with that. I think that you know the the, the kind of trade market that is about to come up for the, the Orioles and you know what they end up doing. Is it going to be the kind of deal where it doesn't really move the needle? I look at guys locally here at Tommy Malona, Ricky Nolasco, guys that will probably be available in some form or fashion and just literally, you know, Nolasco was signed to basically the same deal, I think, in the same offseason as Ubaldo Jimenez. And it's just that that middle tier, no ceiling, all floor, safe free agent signing. And I think that that's that's the market that the Orioles are going to end up trolling uh, probably at their own peril. 
you know, because at the same time, taking away from a farm system that's already weak and giving up any potential ceiling guys could be disastrous for them as well. It, and the Orioles don't have any recent experience situation. with that, do they? I'm sorry? It's not like the Orioles have a lot of recent experience trading away a high ceiling starter for a mid a mid rotation guy. Oh. And, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the joke was so obvious that it smacked me on the head and kind of threw me for a loop. <laughs> yeah, the guy that's uh, the guy that's coming off a no no. He's uh yeah he's uh, the bearded one on the north side of Chicago. Yeah, you know it's uh it, it's pretty easy to see how the 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 brass there, especially those who develop. Uh, those in player development draw the ire of the fans when you look at the list of failed starting pitchers and uh, you, you know you open the that's when you open the briefcase and, and all that stuff falls out and it's uh yeah, it's a very frustrating thing for them i think um for fans to have to deal with i i, I deal with a, a frustrated fan base in minnesota with uh with the twins brass but i think that this pitching thing goes uh, a lot further back with baltimore than any frustration with uh with the twins yeah, it's, um, it's become kind of defining. Go ahead, sorry, Brandon. Oh no, no. Uh, the one thing I want to ask too is about um, you know we we talked about and, and this is this is going to be an evergreen topic until it either happens or doesn't. Uh, the long term future of Manny Machado. You, you know, you bring up the the idea that the window is closing for this team. You want obviously for for Machado to be a part of that window. You run the risk of. Uh, him walking at the end of the deal and then the bottom completely falling out of your team, you know, in a number of years here. But what, what approach do you take with Machado when you see some of these other, you know, uh, early extensions, you get kind of a feel for the money he would a want and B deserve. What, what's the right move for the Orioles to do uh, right now? I mean, I, I could see it being sitting on their hands because it's just a, you know, you don't really know what to do and, and what your future looks like. But but from your standpoint, what are you doing if you're the, the Orioles brass as uh, as it pertains to Mr. Machado? I mean, I would go. I would try to sign him. I just can't think. I can't imagine it's actually going to happen. It's they've waited too long. Uh, Manny Machado can be a free agent at the end of 2018, so he's already he's into his arb years. It's two and a half years till he can actually uh, become a free agent. There's just not a whole lot of motivation for him to sign that type of deal. It would be different. If you could say, hey, Manny, we've got the Cubs' future here. Hey, Manny, we've got the Astros' future here. We've got the Rangers' future here. And unfortunately, the Orioles can't present that. Um, yeah, Machado is the Orioles' future. And I think if you're Manny Machado, there are a lot of examples of players around baseball right now who signed these deals, and they got the money, and they're still great players. But if, if you're Mike Trout, if you're Felix Hernandez, do you maybe regret a little bit kind of hitching your wagon to an organization that – you know, can't put you in, in, in the playoffs, can't put you in races. And if you're Manny Machado, two and a half years, two years and five months from free agency, um, knowing that you could hit the market and get one of these 10-year, $325 million deals, uh, anybody can give you money. And then it's okay, well, where do I want to be and can I win? And I'm just not sure the Orioles are going to be able to compete on any of those levels. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it, when you can hand pick whoever's going to pay you, the the, the part of the, the the equation that Giancarlo Stanton opted not to take, I think the money probably there was just too good to say no. Again, not knowing exactly where finances will be in that time frame is what kind of gives me pause because you know, the 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 financials of the league just continue to keep blowing up. Um, you know, I think Machado the the allure or the potential intoxication of wanting to 
handpick where you land if, if say, 10 teams can give you similar money, similar tax implications, similar future roster construction, or you can weigh the roster construction um, to see which team you would fit with best. Uh, honestly, you, you'd almost have to just go insane on a short-term deal if you're the Orioles to even come close to getting him. And at that point, you're bidding against yourself for years of control. And that kind of thing. I just, I, I don't see a, a very good marriage between the two sides here. And there's also the question of if you give Manny Machado $30 million a year, what are you going to do with the team around him? Are you going to be able to produce enough guys making a half million dollars a year, whatever the, mil- the minimum might be at the next CBA, to support that? I mean, you, you can pay one or two guys these you know, huge salaries, but you have to be able to produce young, uh, talent around it. And after a very productive period for that farm system, it's really kind of gone a bit fallow here. So that's, you know, Dan Duquette was very good at patching that. Dan, one of Dan Duquette's skills when he first came in was finding the Stephen Pierce's and the Darren O'Day's. Um, and I think Paul still has that skill, but I mean, that's a tough, we've seen with the A's, it's very tough to keep patching your roster without growing uh, a talent internally. So yeah, I think it's a tough situation for the Orioles. They've, they, they've drafted and developed one of the game's great players. I just think it's a tough argument to get him to, to get him to stay. It's almost like maybe at this point they should they should focus their money elsewhere to to show him that they've got a winning team moving forward. So then once he does hit free agency, they will be able to keep him. Well, the problem there is that you that, that was last winter, and I just don't think signing right. Chris Davis and Giovanni Gallardo is going to really move the needle. You need to go out and get a superstar, and <laughs> you, you go to these next couple of markets, and there's just not a ton out there. You've got. 30-something hitters like Bautista and Encarnacion. You've got a Steven Strasburg. But, I mean, literally the entire industry is going to be lined up to give Steven Strasburg money. So it's right. a tough spot. And I think that they're really this – is, this is an academic question right now. The Orioles could contend this year, could contend next year. question becomes if the Orioles fall off, if they're 50 and 60 14 months from now, we're not going to be talking about resigning Manny Machado. We're going to be talking about is it time to trade Manny Machado. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I don't want to keep you longer than you'd planned, Joe. You, you're still good to hang for a while yet? Yeah, yeah. I got about another 10 minutes here, guys. Okay, good. I uh, want to make sure that we <laughs> don't use up all your time. Uh, the, the old system, you know, we've been talking about a little bit here, obviously very limited at this point, and it might keep, you know, a, a huge move, you know, a surround manual channel with a star kind of move. Uh, out of the picture, but when you look at, you know, the, what they have in terms of depth, is there any level of enthusiasm for you uh, as far as Dylan Bundy is concerned or Hunter Harvey, kind of the two last men standing as far as pitchers in that, in that uh, farm system right now, or has that been severely dampened with each of these guys? Uh, with, with Bundy, obviously, I think, you know, that some of that luster is worn off and there's severe questions of if he can ever start again. But but as far as Harvey, too, he's been battling injuries and been nicked up a little bit here this year. What's what's your read on these two guys, and if Orioles fans should be very excited, only a little excited, or maybe just a little bit cautious? i, I got to see Hunter Harvey on a mound again before I can make any you know, right. uh, conclusions about him. So I really just I don't know what to say about him. As far as Bundy, Bundy's on the roster entirely because of he's out of options. If, if this was just about putting the best 25 guys on the roster, Dylan Bundy would be somewhere else. But the Orioles rightly don't want to try to put him through waivers because somebody's going to grab him. You're just not going to get him through waivers. Um, but he has, he's faced 30 batters and he struck out one guy. And the last Oof. time you could have a strikeout rate like that and 
and be successful in the major leagues, Baltimore was playing in the international league. So uh, there's just uh, we got to see we got to see more from Bundy. And I didn't get it. There weren't a lot of good reports coming out of him the, the, uh, in spring training. Maybe he builds up. I mean, he's still very young. Maybe he builds up and he turns into a reliever. I don't think there's a starting the starting in his future. But we've written off any number. This is the one of the defining traits of modern baseball. You forget about a guy and he shows up two years later throwing 98 and is one of the best relievers in the game. I don't think it's impossible for Dylan Bundy to be that guy. But right now, I, he's you just you can't do anything with a three percent strikeout. No, I agree. I think that I think that's that's warranted caution for for the fans with those two guys. And you know, um, it, it's got to be a tough spot because I don't I doubt that those guys have that much trade value either. If that was the two chips that they were even going to troll the market with in, in the first place. Now, granted. The situation is fluid. Things can happen in three months to the point where, yeah, maybe Bundy finds some strikeouts. Maybe he throws 35 innings between now and then and actually, you know, has a, a reasonable strikeout rate. But I think you're just, you're just you're hoping against hope for that kind of situation, and it just doesn't seem all that likely for me with with either of those guys. There's also the problem of by having Bundy on the roster, you've limited your opportunities to showcase him. You can't start him because you can't start Dylan Bundy. Um, and you're just right. not going to put him in relief roles where, I mean, this is a team that the, the strength is the bullpen. Um, you're carrying him. So now you've got a 13 man pitching staff and you just don't want to get me started on that particular thing. Um, but <laughs> no, it's like, no. I mean, they carried a rule five guy all last year. Now they're carrying Dylan Bundy. Who's effectively a rule five guy. Um, I know he's pitched in some higher leverage situations than Jason Garcia did last year, but he's still not, you know, he's he's just not going to be able to contribute yet. So, and even if he is, I mean, is he? What's Dylan Bundy's upside on this team? The third best right-handed reliever behind uh, O'Day and Brock. I, so right. yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. Harvey is at least somebody who still is a starter and if healthy is still probably going to be a good major league pitcher. But you know, if healthy is doing a lot of carrying a lot of weight in that sentence. No, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Bob, anything you got there? Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, it seems like they're just in an incredibly difficult spot because they can't, like you said, they can't showcase these guys. Do they have any trade value whatsoever anyway? Where would they have to, where would they have to get where they, they could be part of a package? Is Hunter Harvey going to get you more in trade than you might get out of Hunter Harvey just putting him in the rotation on August 1st? I don't yeah, think yeah, the question, question. I honestly don't Probably think the not. answer to that question is, is is yes. So, if Hunter Harvey pitches well, put Hunter Harvey in the rotation and see what happens. I, I think one of the things that we're not talking enough about the Orioles. I don't mean this conversation, but just the national conversation, right. if you will, is just how close they are to the end of this. Um, you could stretch it out to 18 with Machado, but mm-hmm. you know you're looking at a team that is not going to push a lot of talent to the majors in the next two years. That is now bumped its payroll up very high just to retain last year's team, whose strength is you know relief pitching and low OB power, low OBP power, um, and is actually going to turn over a fair amount of roster spots next year. So like the Orioles' big start is great for them because they they kind of need to win now. And if they don't win now, mm-hmm. it, it's it's like you, know, you look at the Angels last couple of years. The, the Orioles are basically to me two years behind the Angels. Where you know the Angels had their run in 2014, and now each year they're just getting a little bit older and a little bit worse, and they have no farm system. The Orioles are getting a little bit older and a little bit worse, and they have a somewhat better farm system than the Angels, which is damning with faint praise. 
I, I feel like a predatory team could could jump in and and take Hunter Harvey off their hands for a decent like number three starter, especially a team that maybe mass produces those. I'm, I'm not I don't have a name or a team in front of me, but I feel like if 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 somebody saw that there was a clearance on Hunter Harvey, that might be a good spot for a predatory team to to hawk that guy. I don't, I don't know if that's you know the age or something like that, but um yeah, the, I don't the know. trade you don't want to make. But the deal you don't want to be making this year is, you know, trading Hunter Harvey for Jeremy Hellickson and something at, at the at the trade Ooh. deadline. That's just, you're going yeah, backwards. That's so painful. You know, that, that's exactly – you don't even want to be trading him for, you know – right now, would you trade Hunter Harvey for Tyson Ross, given all the uncertainty around Tyson Ross? Not at all. No, no not at all. Hmm. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, just, it's, it's all risk. And that's not even saying you could even make that deal. I just – it feels like any, it, like I say, for where Harvey is in terms of the question marks about what he what he can be, uh, he's just it, it, there's you're, you're selling low uh, into a market that is, as you say, filled with predatory uh, traders. I I'd trade him maybe for Joe Ross, but definitely not, not for Tyson Ross. Um, <laughs> when, when Have you heard of the National made a deal? Gosh, that that uh, that relationship, man alive! We could fill another hour of a podcast with that relationship. I think. <laughs> um, so before we let you go, uh, obviously you've appreciated your time. When you look at the rest of this division, I mean the Yankees are in last, but it's you know it's still not a team that's that's garbage. And I can you know you, you can look at some of the teams in the National League and they're obviously rebuilding. The Braves are doing it better slash worse than anybody else in the game. Uh, when you look at this AL on the whole, and especially the East. Uh, top to bottom, it's it's littered with teams that have flaws, but could also win the division. How do you how do you handicap this division? I mean, it's it's a half game lead, which literally on April twenty eighth means nothing. How, how do you see this shaking out? Yeah, I'm not somebody who moves off his point from his preseason stuff that easily. It really takes me until just about the trade deadline before I kind of reset because you know we've seen teams have two bad months. And then play mm-hmm. well the next four four months, and then or the converse. You think about the A's a couple of years ago, the best team in baseball, you know, through the trade deadline, and they fell apart, and they lost that wild card game to the Royals. So it, it takes a long time to figure out what baseball teams are. So I look at this division pretty much the same as I did uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is to say, I think the Red Sox are the best team. I think that the the, the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Rays are not separated by a whole lot. To me, the Rays might have the most upside. Because they have so much of that pitching. We saw Blake Snell come up and make a start. They're eventually going to get Alex Cobb back. They just got such depth in the starting pitching. They just have struggled uh, struggle to score runs. Um, I do think the Yankees have kind of separated themselves in the other way. Uh, just, mm-hmm. You see this team just getting old right in front of you. And uh, mm-hmm. they're going to struggle to score runs all year. And when you've got a team that if your best asset is your bullpen, you will never get enough – value out of that bullpen. You'll just be protecting three, two deficits all year long. So um, I, I think he, whereas I, uh, you know, earlier in the uh, three, four weeks, I would have said the top four and then the Orioles down to me, it looks more like the top three and then the Yankees and the Orioles. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so before we let yep. you go, uh, you did, you did comment a bit on the Skip Bayless ouster from ESPN and not really an ouster. He's just leaving at the end of his contract, heading to Fox sports um, obviously, you know, content is near and dear to your heart for a number of reasons. Uh, how frustrating is it for you when you see this is kind of the content that's incentivized, whereas people who are, you know, making an honest, concerted effort uh, kind of fall by the wayside here? Well, it, it's a dynamic market. I mean, in the 20 years I've been doing this, it's just been a lot of radical changes. Um, I will say that I had more hope 
I think uh, certainly in the, the last decade, you know, go, the growth of prospectus and the growth of smart content. And it feels like in the 2010s, we've kind of gone backwards on that. It seemed like there was a time where there was really going to be a change. And I look at, you know, where we've gone with some of these and it, it's disappointing. So uh, yeah, um, there's still always hope, but uh, it feels a little bit like we've gone backwards over the last three or four years. All right. Now, before we let you go, what, uh, where can everybody find your work? And, uh, and then we'll let you, let you off the hook. The best place to go to get all the information is at Joe underscore Sheehan on Twitter. There you'll find links to the excerpts at the Blogspot site, and you can get links to the Facebook page. Um, there's also from the Facebook page, for either one of those sites, you can click through and uh, uh, get the newsletter. Through Twitter, DM me. Well, I don't think you can DM me. Go to Facebook. You can message me there if you have any questions. Uh, and like I say, if you enjoy baseball, you'll enjoy the newsletter. That's, that's basically what I say. It's not about being a smart fan or a sabermetrics fan. It's just about being a baseball fan. Thanks well, a lot, thank Joe. You very much. having you. Yeah, we've, yeah. Thanks, fellas. Take we've care. Very much, I, I don't speak for Bob, but I, we very much appreciate your time. Thanks again. No, you can speak for Joe Sheehan. I'm sorry, I have been this entire time. <laughs> I feel so bad. Uh, you know, as, as people listening have probably figured out by now, we're still kind of learning that vibe back and forth, trying to figure mm-hmm. this out. Uh, great guest, though. I thought Joe, Joe touched on a lot of points that I think you and I have maybe hinted on over the last couple of shows, but he just, you know, he took them in a little different direction. I think. Uh, very, very good guess. Excellent. And and people, 30 bucks a year for the newsletter. That's like, what, seven, eight coffees for a year? Give it up. Yeah. Give it up, people. Go that's, get, go get that's, Joe that's, Shoes newsletter. That's criminally underpriced. But um, so, some someone that, you know what, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and support. Uh, I've obviously, I've had a lot of content that I've been reading but uh, you know what? You got to support the people that support you. Appreciate him coming on the show, um, even with a, some more technical difficulties uh, today. But I, I think we'll, I think episode number three will be able to nail down uh, perfectly. I think I think you and I are gaining valuable experience doing this show together, <laughs> and I'm starting to feel I'm starting to feel more comfortable. I'll, I'll learn how to handle your pauses and vice versa, and I won't stand on your feet for the entire hour next week. How does that sound? No, you can stand on my feet. That's fine. No, that think that's, I, you don't want to. I don't want that. I'll be your Hank. I'll be your Hank Kingsley, and I'll just throw in a "Hey now" every once in a while, and we'll be good. Oh man, that, that'd be perfect. <laughs> well, so, be, so before we let everybody else go, um, we can talk about the AL Central a little bit. I've been covering the Twins for ColdOmaha.com, which is a a fun website that a friend of mine built and has had me be his Twins reporter. You know, the Central has been kind of wild. The Twins have seen a fair amount of it. they got Detroit coming in tomorrow. In fact, we'll be welcoming my buddy Anthony Fenich, one of the cover uh, guys who covers the Tigers, to town. I always like seeing the visiting media and, and all that stuff. But um, the Twins and Tigers battling for the bottom spot in the division. Twins need a three-game sweep to uh, to match Detroit in the, the win column. But it's been a wild division. White Sox on the top. Three and a half games out in front of the Royals. I feel like the, the White Sox are a year behind when everyone was expecting them to be good. And uh, boy, I don't think they're missing Drake LaRoche too much. No, no. Um, <laughs> I don't remember who he was, actually. I'd already forgotten about Drake LaRoche, uh, shockingly. That's the best way. Um, no, I mean, their defense is excellent. Todd Frazier hasn't even really started hitting yet. Adam Eaton's the real deal. They're good. I mean, I think I think they're you know there's I 
I don't know how you how do you feel about the Central. I still think this is the Royals division to lose, but I think the White Sox will be there. I think they'll be kind of in the area. Um, I don't think they're going to see Matt Latos pitch, you know, a, a 0.74 ERA all season. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, this team is pretty good. I like the White Sox. Latos looks like Aaron Harang 2.0 for me uh, from a guy, you know, physical standpoint, from a stuff standpoint. You know, it's just a post I don't want to say post-hype or post-apocalyptic, but he's at that point in his career where the stuff stuff's not quite as great. He just is not physically imposing on the mound. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I would not have anticipated. I, I, I was higher on him than most coming up last year, but the stuff does not match the results right now. Chris Sale, Jose Quintana, absolutely nasty up top. He has some pretty, pretty yep. you know funky lefty action from Carlos Radon. And then, you know, we'll see who else they make have, have making starts. Uh, old friend Miguel Gonzalez of, of the Orioles, formerly the Orioles, released before this season started. They're going to mm-hmm. get creative on the back end of that rotation, but the front end is good. The bullpen has very good potential. The back end is very strong with, with Robertson. Uh, Matt Albers still has not allowed an earned run. Nate Jones throws the absolute fire out of the ball. Uh, th- this could be a very, very interesting team. Are they good enough to take down the Royals? That I'm less sure of, but I'm I'm very enthused by what they've done early, and it's it's been their big guys that have kind of come in the clutch for them, and uh, maybe this is one of those uh, magic years for Melky Cabrera as well. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's uh, I'm not. I know I said uh, this is still the Royals' division to lose, and I do believe that, but I I don't I don't think this White Sox team is going to go away for that matter. I mean. No. I mean, uh, Latos, yeah, he's he's not going to do this all year. And the other thing is, is I he was out here with the Dodgers, and I saw how he kind of operated. And I don't, I don't, he's not, he, how do I put this? Not a good, not a best clubhouse guy either. Um, That's I've heard. And so I, I think you could see some impact there if, you know, once he does start, not does start having some poor starts. Um, so, but, okay, so we got under. We have we have forty seconds left here. I want to give you yeah. one chance to to shovel dirt on the twin season right now. If you feel like it, you can you can stick a knife <laughs> in my heart if you want to do that. Are you giving up on the twins right now? You got thirty seconds to plead your case. Thirty seconds. Ah, uh, you see them much more than I do. I mean, you you know they're I'm, not going to the playoffs, <laughs> right? That's true. I, I do. Um, think it's a more it's a more talented team than last year, though. No, it is. It is. This is a project right now. And, you know, Sano's going to be good, right? You like Sano? Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see what they got. Uh, that's all we got for you guys, though, however, this week on The Warehouse. Thanks for joining us, and see you next week. All right. See you. I'm Roland Dickey from Dickey's Barbecue, introducing three new party platters. Don't start the party without me. Pulled pork street taco platters. I'm a barrel of fun. Or a platter of pulled pork sliders. Life at the party. And our dessert platters. A lamp riot. Party platters, only 36 bucks each for graduations, receptions, showers, and you name it. I'll be at them all. Take us with you. Dickey's We Speak Barbecue. 